two, one. What is up, everyone? It's the Raw Prospect Podcast, episode 57. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Find us on other uh, find us on other uh, podcasting services. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. Um, and joining me, as always, the Stat King himself. What is up, Michael? What's up? What is going on, y'all? Um, it's an exciting time in the sports world. Um, I know football season is over, but we got a trade this morning involving a, a pretty notable quarterback. Um, we have some other talk about, obviously, in this football um, respect. Uh, that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, today, we're going to be doing a little NBA buy or sell stock sort of game. Um, you choose, I guess, I did four because I didn't have time for a fifth, but I choose four to five storylines, players, teams to buy or sell stock in. And so, everything all right i can't hear you Uh oh uh, i think we're having some technical difficulties here i think uh michael went frozen on my end but just to uh kick back off of what he was saying um we're gonna do uh just in light of the stock stuff that happened a few weeks ago now um we're going to do a game where we buy and sell stock in players and teams. He basically just explained it, but we're also going to talk a little bit of golf today. Um, there's been, there's some interesting storylines uh, going into this week, but also going into the main part of the season as well. We're, we're just getting into the phase where guys are really starting to try and prepare for uh, Augusta and uh, for the, rest of the majors uh i uh i'm going to pause this recording and when you when when we see you again uh michael will be back in here give me one second all right we are back everyone um so to continue um introing some of the stuff we're going to cover today um, we're going to do some golf stuff um like i said there's some interesting storylines uh, to cover going into the major season, which is, uh, if you didn't know, golf has four majors throughout the year. Those are the most prestigious tournaments, the biggest tournaments that every player has to prepare for. Um, so the first major is coming up soon in April. So this is the time of year where everybody is is uh, rounding out their games, getting ready for it. Um, but for this week specifically, we're going to pick uh, the winners for this week at Riviera, which is, um, I wouldn't say it's a huge tournament, but um, it's a, it, it has an interesting outcome every single year, it seems like, because um, it's such a nice course. Um, but uh, on top of that, we're also going to get into some stuff with Jordan Spieth, who is a former Masters champion who hasn't won in almost three years almost three full years because he won the 2017 open. That was his last win. Uh, so we're going to get into uh, what may be wrong and uh, uh, can he 
bounce back from this. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to close with uh, college basketball. We're going to make our predictions for some of the games tonight and also for Saturday, this weekend, uh, all the marquee matchups. Um, because we have some – this is late February now, and uh, this is all conference stuff. This is where it really heats up. So uh, I'm really excited um, for what we got for you all, but we're just going to get into this. Um, yeah. Right. So uh, beginning with our NBA stuff, um, the first thing that I'm buying stock in is I'm buying stock in the Damian Lillard for MVP train. And um, this this episode was pushed back a couple of times. So just for a little bit of context, I actually um, I actually wrote this down for this episode uh, before these last two games where he hit game winners. So it's even more of a uh, trend now to hop on that bandwagon, but um, I'm I, nonetheless I'm buying stock in uh, on that train uh, with everything that he's been doing. Um, not just all the clutch shots; um, it's just the level of leadership that he displays um, in wake of all the injuries that they've had. That's uh, really impressive to me. Absolutely. Um, since you bought stock, I'm going to sell stock. Um, before the season, obviously, there was a notion that this year's draft class, these rookies that were coming in, you know, this was one of the weaker draft classes of the past couple, past decade, past couple of years. Um, you can go ahead and sell that notion right now because right now there are five rookies averaging over um, or 12 points per game or more. I'll name them for you. Um, LaMelo Ball looks like a star um, as we knew he had the potential to be. Um, he's been playing really well as of late. He's entered the Charlotte Hornets starting lineup. Um, he's been the most impressive rookie. Um, we know about James Weissman, the second overall pick of the Golden State Warriors. He's been hurt as of late but he's also putting up impressive numbers. And then you have other guys like Anthony Edwards, who's come on as of late, um, the shooting guard for the Timberwolves. Um, he's a notable name for that team, even though they're um, struggling at the bottom of the Western Conference. Um, you have Tyrese Halliburton for the Sacramento Kings. Um, he's putting up good numbers and then a name not a lot of people talked about coming into the draft um, was Emmanuel Quickly, um, one of the guards for the New York Knicks. And the Knicks are sitting there right around 500 um, in that Eastern Conference playoff race. He's also averaging about 12 points per game. Um, so you look at those five guys, and it even goes beyond um, those five guys. You have names like Sadiq Bey. Um, he's putting up decent numbers for the Detroit Pistons. Um, even guys like Devin Vassell, um, guys that were in the lottery that are contributing to their teams right away. And so the notion that this draft class was weak or not good at all, um, you can just go ahead and get rid of um, any of those notions right now because there are a lot of guys 
they're not only contributing, but they're, I mean, they're, a lot of these guys are a lot better than we expected them to be right away. So that's my first sell right. um, for this and, segment. Um, another thing I wanted to add about that is um, I think circumstance has a lot to do with it as well. I think a guy like, if you look at a guy like Sadiq Bay, who you just mentioned, um, he was at Villanova, I believe, right? Um, I think someone like that, he's someone who would kill it in the in a tournament setting. Like some of these guys um, that were under the radar during the regular season didn't have that chance to uh, perform on the bigger stage of March Madness since it was canceled last year. So I think that played a role in this class being underrated as well. But yeah, um, I, I actually, I'm buying stock in something that's uh, connected to that. I'm buying stock in Anthony Edwards being a future all-star. Um, he's been under the radar, but if you look at his style as a player, he ju he's just a hooper. He's not, gonna, he's not going to uh, make any excuses. He's not going to ask questions. He just goes out there and does his thing. Um, and, you know, people criticized him for some of the things he said pre-draft. They questioned whether he loved basketball. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think people realize that he doesn't necessarily, I don't think what he said really discredited his love of basketball. I think he just loves other things as well. Um, and just because he does that doesn't mean he's not working as hard or whatever. Like that, that's just a, a preconceived notion that people have about athletes having other interests, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, the reason why I think Anthony Edwards is a future all-star is he already has the um, foundation to, to be that player. Like he, his, if you look at his arsenal, of moves and and how he gets to the bucket so easily and how he moves around the court it's easy to see that if he adds a little bit more polish he can easily be a 25 point per game score because the shots that he's missing are open shots um in a star sense of the word um but he's just missing them because he's a rookie and he still needs to work on his game a little bit more but i think i think he'll get there in two years i think he'll be there okay um i'm going to buy stock in the phoenix suns as a wow. contender to get to the western conference finals um now i did some of this prep like on monday so i had to update some of these some of these notions for you but uh, at not only can they beat you know the lesser teams the lesser competition but they've also been really good against teams above 500 um, they are seven and five against teams with a record currently um, above 500 so uh, that's the fourth best um, such record in the league so they've proven to you that they can beat some of these better teams and compete with some of these better teams in the league. Second of all, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, um, they've both been absolutely terrific. 
Um, now, before the loss to the Suns, the, or excuse me, before the loss to the Nets, you can't lose to yourselves. Before they lost to the Nets the other night, um, due to some, you know, late game heroics from James Harden, um, they were on a six game winning streak. And during that six game winning streak, Devin Booker was elite. He was averaging um, almost 29 points per game, uh, about six assists and shooting about 49% from the field, which is absolutely just insane. And it seems that wherever Chris Paul goes, um, the team just wins. I mean, we saw him obviously in LA. Um, we saw him go um, to Houston. They won a lot of games. Um, and now we see him, we saw him go to Oklahoma City. They won a lot of games, um, more than we ever expected them to. And now he's with a young team in Phoenix and they're winning a lot of games. And I believe, I haven't really looked at the standings in the past couple of days, but they're like top four, top five in the West. And when Devin Booker and Chris Paul are on the court together, um, the team has uh, a plus 19.4 net rating, which is one of the best in the league. So, and then they're also playing defense. Um, they're, they're seventh in the NBA in defensive efficiency rating. So I just look at this team and um, they're picking their, they're picking up where they left off um, a couple months ago in the bubble um, when they went eight and zero in the bubble games and just fell short of um, playing themselves in to the NBA playoffs. So I think, barring injury, of course, um, they they should be a contender right now at least to get to that Western Conference final stage. I think they can do it, but the Western Conference is a gauntlet. You can have injuries, all, all sorts of things can happen, but right now, the way they're playing, watch out. Right, and you know, I, I agree with that, but the thing that it's gonna depend on is uh, DeAndre Aiden. Um, I think this, if you look at this team, they have a lot of versatility, especially at the forward spots. They've done a really good job of drafting and also picking up guys like Jay Crowder to fill in those spots. But um, at the center position, uh, DeAndre Ayton has been, um, he's been inconsistent defensively. And also there, there are times where you, you question his mentality and, and aggressiveness offensively, uh, especially when he has mismatches and uh, he's not able to capitalize on those. But um, I, I, I agree with you. I think they're a, a contender to make the Western Conference Finals, definitely, especially with Denver having the struggles that they're having. Um, I think that's a they're an underrated team that can get there. Right. So um, my next uh, thing that I'm buying stock in, I'm buying stock in De'Aaron Fox uh, just in general. Um, I think De'Aaron Fox, uh, simply because of the organization that he's playing with, uh, the Sacramento Kings, uh, he's been under the radar for far too long. And I think um, pretty soon uh, they'll be in the playoffs and he'll make his worth be known. He's averaging uh, 24 this year on really good efficiency. And that would even be higher if he was shooting a little better from the line. So 
the crazy thing about De'Aaron Fox is he still has so much room to grow. And I think um, where he's at already as a defender and as a playmaker, I think with him and Tyrese Halliburton in the backcourt, I think the Kings uh, could be a playoff team for years to come. I agree. Ty, he's he's really good. Um, I watched him a lot um, when he was at Iowa State. Obviously, I'm a big college basketball guy. So I watched a lot of these guys um, more in college than a lot of people that I know did. But, yeah, I think the Kings um, sort of kind of underrated. Um, their young guys are sort of underrated. I mean, they got um, a lot of guys there that – um, it's just the culture that really kills um, that team. So I agree. I think Halliburton's going to be really good, um, but you know we'll we'll see. Um, De'Aaron Fox is just a star. Um, if it wasn't for so many pl- good players in the West, um, he could probably make an All Star, or he could make an All Star team. That's for that's for sure. But I'll get to my next one. Um, I think. The Utah Jazz will finish this season. Now, of course, this depends on injury as the number one seed in the West. Now, I'm not saying that they can beat the Lakers in a seven game series. I'm not saying they can even you know, beat the Clippers in a seven game series. We'll have to see. Right now, they're playing too good. They're pushing too, um, you know, if they don't see a way, they can, um, I don't see them slowing down anytime soon. Um, first of all, their schedule doesn't get any easier. In fact, it gets a little harder, but they've already proven that they can beat the best teams in the league. They're 10 and three against teams currently above 500. And they just, they just beat the Clippers Um I think it was last night or the night before. So they're meshing. They're first in offensive rating. They're second in defensive rating. Um, They're one of two teams, along with the Lakers, to rank top five in both uh, metrics. Um, They're on pace still to set an NBA record for three-pointers made per game by a team. They're making about 17 per game right now, which is just incredible. Um, They're showing no signs of slowing down. now, I know the NBA All-Star starters will be announced tonight and the reserves will be announced later, but we assumed, and we talked about this on our last podcast, that Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert will be All-Stars. They'll make the All-Star team. Um, so they have two All-Stars. That's typically a recipe for um, this type of, you know, regular season. And... They're getting production from the bench, namely Jordan Clarkson. He's second in the NBA. And um, so there's the chemistry here that kind of reminds me of like the the 2014 Spurs teams. Um, they're, They're moving the ball. They're playing really good team basketball. And all of the metrics, all the numbers say that uh, if they can stay healthy, and now that we think that the Lakers will be extra cautious um, with Anthony Davis, 
Um, and some of these other teams in the West are kind of struggling. You mentioned the Nuggets, um, the Clippers will be up there, but they, they tend to load manage some of their players. So we don't know if they really actually care about the regular season, we'll have to see. But I just think the Utah Jazz are gonna continue this. And I think they'll end up as the top overall seed in the West going into the playoffs. Again, you can't predict injuries, but as of right now, that's what it looks like it's going to be, so. Right. Um, I, I think so too. I think they can realistically finish number one seed. And uh, even in, in past years, um, the, the number one seed isn't necessarily the best team in the conference in terms of regular season stuff. So um, I can definitely see that happening. Um, but for my next uh, buy sell thing, um, I'm going, I'm selling stock in Mike Budenhoser as a top tier coach. Um, so here, here's my thing. Um, he's f- very stubborn. He, he fails to make adjustments uh, when needed. Um, it, they're going down um, this, basically the same path that they have the last two years, which led to them, their offense being too simplistic and uh, being exposed in the playoffs. Um, they're going down that same path. They're not experimenting with Giannis at the five. They're not throwing him in pick and rolls like I thought they would. Um, and I think um, it'll be detrimental uh, to this whole team in the long run if they keep Mike Budenhoser as a coach. Because I think they they have a ceiling with him as a coach since he's uh, since he's not able to make the adjustments that are needed. Um, uh, but I don't know. I might, I might just be overreacting and having recency bias, but even when he was coaching the Hawks um, in the playoffs, he almost lost in the second round to uh, the Wizards in that year where they went won 67 games. So him as a coach in the playoffs, I, I'm not very high on. And I think, uh, overall, I'm just I'm selling that stock now in saying that um, in the next couple of years, I think the Bucks may consider moving on from him. I, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, you have Giannis and Chris Middleton. You've added Drew Holiday. And now is the time that you have to you have to win. Um, and you have to at least get to the NBA Finals, something which they haven't really actually come close to doing. Uh, um, I mean, the closest they got was what? Like a couple of years ago. But, I mean, we'll see. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the segment, Damian Lillard, what he is doing. Um, so far this season is just absolutely insane. Um, first of all, he's averaging uh, 30 points, six assists on 50% from the field, uh, 43% from three, and he's shooting 94% from the free throw. So he's doing the same old Stephen Curry stuff that he's been doing for the past, uh, you know, five to 10 years. Um, 
He has this Warriors team, a team that's been without uh, James Wiseman, Kevon Looney. Um, they've had some injuries. They don't have Clay Thompson, of course. We all knew that. Um, and he has them, I think, three games above 500 and sitting in the Western Conference playoffs. And really, on most, most nights, um, he's the reason and pretty much the only reason that they're in games and have a chance to win games late. In crunch time, in fact, this is five point. Um, these are games that are within five points in the last three minutes of the game. Um, he's shooting 55, actually 56% from the field, 70% from three-point range. Um, he's 12 or 12 from the free throw line in those situations. Um, he only has one turnover in those situations. He's a plus 16, um, plus minus in those situations. And the Warriors are seven and four in those close games. So they're winning close games. He's the reason for it. He's putting up huge numbers. Um, and he's really having a, a similar season to the one where he um, – he won the unanimous, unanimous MVP 2015-2016. Um, he's putting up those type numbers, and he's really carrying uh, this team. I mean, last night, I mean, no Draymond, no Kevon Looney, no James Wiseman, no Clay Thompson, and the Warriors are winning games. So, uh, and, you know, there have been games where the other guys on the roster, Andrew Wiggins, has had a couple terrible games. Um, he's not getting much help, or at least much consistent help. And the Warriors are in the playoffs. They're a couple games above 500, and he's not showing signs of slowing down. I think the only the only thing that's going to slow Stephen Curry down is another injury. So I would buy stock in him for MVP right now. Um, but you know, we all know that. There are so many deserving candidates that he may not win it, um, but you know we'll see. We'll see. Right, and um, in a weird Russell Westbrookian kind of way, he definitely has an argument, um, especially if they end up in a fifth or sixth seed, something like that. Um, he has a real argument just simply from the fact that there's been so much turmoil and and change through their organization and he he's been the steady steadying hand that's run them through them all but um i'm just going to take a second to talk about the warriors as a whole just um their ball movement has not lost a step at all their system is still um intact um and it took a, a few games for the players to really buy in and and get used to the system but they're clicking now and it's it's really fun to watch um they're, they're getting good shots uh consistently like even when shots aren't dropping like as you said he's not getting consistent help um they're getting open looks consistently and they're breaking down every defense they play it seems so uh watch out for the warriors i think they're gonna be a tough out in the playoffs um whoever they play. I think any team. Okay. You call me the stat king. I've been looking on Twitter and I saw this just now. The most 30 point games 
on 50% from the field, 50% from the three-point line, and 100% from the free throw line. So 50-50-100 shooting splits. The most 30-point games on those shooting splits in NBA history. Stephen Curry has 76 of those in his career. The next closest player is Larry Bird with 50. Wow. So <laughs> he is, I mean, that I just find that mind-blowing. And then you have Dirk, um, he had 48 of those. Um, KD has 41, and then MJ had 39 of those such games. So just amazing. Right. Um, just absolutely amazing. So I didn't, I, I only did four. Those were my four. Um, buying stock in the Suns um, as a Western Conference Finals um contender i'm selling stock in the notion that this draft class uh, is just not a good draft class just get rid of that um right now and i'm buying stock in the jazz um for the western conference finals top seed best team in the regular season and i'm buying stock in stephen curry both as just like a and it in that MVP conversation. He buys and only one sell. If I had to sell stock in one more thing, um, I'd say, um, I don't know what your opinions on this are and I don't have a lot of prep prepared for this, but I'd say, I'm not sure I'm ready to sell stock on them as a team because they've had some injuries. Um, but um, the Boston Celtics, and particularly the supporting cast, I mean, players not named Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Uh, I'm not sure I'm really super high on them right now. Now, I know they've had injuries to Marcus Smart and such, but, you know, a couple of the rookie or younger players, uh, Romeo Langford's been out. He was a contributor in last year's playoffs, I believe. But, you know, Kimba Wall has really been slumping since he came back from injury. Um, they picked up a couple players in the off season, the short, the shortened off season, Jeff Teague, um, Tristan Thompson, a couple veteran presences um, in that, for that locker room. And the, the development of Robert Williams has really made that Tristan Thompson pickup look kind of, kind of, uh, I guess not worthless, but it, he hasn't really done much. And then Jeff Teague isn't really in even in the rotation with guys like Peyton Pritchard, uh, the rookie from Oregon, being in that, and then Carson Edwards, of course. So I'm not, I'm just not really sure. You know, up until a couple nights ago, they had lost, uh, they were, they had lost 10 of their last 15 games, and they're, they're five and 15 since Kimba Walker. Um, return to the starting lineup. So I'm just not, I'm just not really high on the Boston Celtics and I'm not sure I'm ready to sell stock in them as a contender as a whole, because I know they have a great coach. Um, they have a lot of time to get things going again in the right direction. And, you know, there's always time to go out and make a trade. We know Danny Age has a, Danny Ainge, excuse me, has a reputation of being aggressive um, at the trading deadline and stuff. And there's time to 
improve this team. But I, I want to get your thoughts on Boston because they are struggling right now. And, you know, aside from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who we think will both be all-stars, they're not really getting much production from anybody else. Right. Um, Boston's a real head scratcher, honestly. Um, they, and I think I definitely agree with you on selling stock on their ability to contend with this current roster. But like you said, they can still make trades. But with this current roster, this current uh, build, the way it's set up with the role players being who they are, um, I'm not I'm not high on it either. Um, and it really just comes down to, um, I think they have a problem of lack of playmaking. Um, if you look at uh, Kemba Walker's strengths as a point guard, he's not really setting up guys. And, and what is he really doing when he's not scoring the ball at a high level? He's not defending. Um, he's, he, like I just said, he's not that great of a passer and he's certainly not going to be rebounding the ball at, at six foot one. So um, it, the value there, I think that's really pushing down everything else that this team can do because he is the biggest contract on the team. He's the max guy. He's supposed to be the veteran, the, the um, steadying piece that whenever they need a bucket, you can go to Kemba and he can, he can hit his step back. But if he's not going to be that guy, um, then that signing was a bust and they're not going to be in contention. That might push back their timeline a little bit. So they have, a, they have a few choices to make. They can either one be extremely aggressive, as you said, at the deadline and, and make some moves. Um, there are some guys available, particularly on uh, teams like the Rockets or uh, uh, the Knicks might be selling later in the year. Uh, with some of those guys having higher value than they than they did at the beginning of the season, uh, but um, they could either do that or they could uh, buy into their future and try to uh, pick up the pieces a little bit and try to keep on going through the draft. Because, but I don't like that path as much because there gets to a point where. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be too old to just be uh, waiting on these rookies to get where they need to be. You know, they, they're ready to win now and their window is there. They just have to, they, it's just up to the front office to put the pieces around them. And right now it's not, it's not there. Right. Did you have anything else you wanted to say? I've covered what I want to say. For my NBA buy sell as of right now, right. Um, um, I have one more. You don't have any. I have one more. This this one's about my okay. Mavericks. So I'm I'm selling stock in Rick Carlisle being the long term coach of my my Mavericks. Um, and this was this was a hard one for me because um, he's been the coach of our team for a long time, and obviously he's a he's a good coach, but. Um, with where we're at, I don't think he's the right type of coach. Um, he, and here, here's my reasoning. Uh, Rick Carlisle, he doesn't like to play young players. 
So, so what does that mean? He likes his, his vets that he, he knows what they're going to, what you're going to get from them. They're not going to make too many mistakes, but they're also, I mean, they're, they are who they are, but um, what I'm going to get at here is uh, we got a guy like Tyler Bay in the G league and Tyrell Terry in the G league. And you got Josh green sitting on the bench there. Um, and I think, this team could use some youthful energy, uh, some uh, energizer bunny type of play right now. And that's exactly what we, what I thought we drafted Tyler Bay and Josh Green for, to be those defensive guys. I mean, whether they're going to give you anything offensively or not, it uh, doesn't matter right now. Just throw them out there for 10 minutes and let them just hustle for every loose ball and go get it. You know, sometimes I just I, I I question how hungry some of these players are because their spots are so concrete and the, and the hierarchy of the team is so concrete to where the players don't feel threatened. They're they're there and they're comfortable and they're uh, they feel good about where they are. Um, and I think. Uh, I think we just need a coach who is going to put the young guys in and, and let them grow, you know, uh, that, that, that's just my take. Uh, I think with, with the team being as young as it is, we need to go all in to being young and being and playing fast and getting out in transition and doing all those things. Uh, and with Rick Carlisle, we just, we just haven't done that, but I, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. I, uh, may, it might just be me being a little bit pessimistic about uh, the Maverick season so far, but that's one of the main things that I've taken away from the Maverick season is just that uh, he's playing these veterans that aren't even necessarily better than what these rookies would give you, you know? So. Right. I really can't speak on that. Maybe I can um, give you more of my thoughts in a future episode. Um, but I do see where you're coming from. Um, I think it's important in today's NBA. Um, of course, player development is of like the utmost importance right now. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta move off your older guys and start to develop your younger guys um, to keep pace in today's NBA. And I think I'd have to do a little bit more research as to what the Mavericks have been doing as of late. Um, I have watched a couple of their games because they've been on TV so much. But yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons that the that my team, the Spurs, are now um, looking really good. It's because Pop has moved off some of the older the older veterans and he's playing the young guys and they're developing uh, right before our eyes. So I'm not sure. I, I probably wouldn't say I see Rick Carlisle being the coach of the Mavericks um, past the next um, three or four years. If Dallas doesn't end up getting to a Western conference finals or even a finals in that time period, I think, they have the necessary pieces. They might need one or two more pieces, but I think they have the talent to get there and you don't want to waste away. And I know Luca's super young, 
but you don't want to waste away too many years of the Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis prime, like when they're in their primes. You don't want to just keep treading along like you are. So I can definitely see where you're coming from, but maybe I can speak um, a little bit more in detail to that topic in an upcoming episode. Right. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I guess I just, I don't know. I guess I got a little too ahead of myself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, that's going to do it for uh, that topic. I think, I think that turned out really well. And, and definitely guys, just let us know if you, if you want to see more of that, because we can definitely do something like that with football. We could do some of, some of that stuff with, really any sport this is one of those things that works for anything so definitely let us know if you like that little segment there um but now we're gonna get into our golf stuff um and i i think we'll we should start off with this jordan spieth conversation um i have i have a little bit of prep done i don't have any stats um but this is this is what i've been seeing from him these past couple years I think the struggles that he's had, um, well, actually, before I get into it, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on who Jordan Spieth is, because I know some of y'all might not be uh, golfers who listen to this. Um, so first of all, Jordan Spieth, um, he came onto the scene in 2013 as a 19-year-old rookie and won a tournament where he uh, holed out a bunker shot just like uh, on the 18th hole, just like the craziest way you can win a tournament. Um, And then from there, he had a run of an incredible run of four or five years where he was winning majors and he was just dominant. Um, And then he had that collapse at the masters in 2016, I believe uh, where he put it in the water on hole 12 uh, three or four times uh, and lost his, four shot lead. Uh, and from there, he hasn't really been the same. He won the open in 2017, but that was his last win up until now. So, uh, that's a little bit of context, but, uh, as for what I think is going on, I think it's a combination of two things. Um, one, um, I think that he's just having a mental block. So, um, for all of you that aren't golfers, golf is one of those sports that is 90% mental. It's, it's basically, um, it's a, you're, you're playing against yourself and you're also, you're playing the course, but you're also playing against yourself in a way. Um, there's so many emotional ups and downs within every round. Um, and, uh, coincidentally, there's also ups and downs in your game as well. And, and those two things are kind of connected. So wherever your head is at, um, if your head is not in a good place, you won't be able to perform the same way. So um, what I, the reason for me to believe that he's having a mental block is um, he's doing things that are not um, up to his skill level. It's, it's not... Uh, something that is because he's not skilled enough it's something that he's just doing because he's just off so he he's missing like 
two or three foot putts here and there where he's um, he can have like a 10 footer and he'll make it, but he'll have like a two foot putt, three foot putt and he'll miss it, which is just so wild to me um, considering that he, the, the putter is the best part of his game. Um, and then the second thing um, is the driver um, hitting the fairway, um, especially on the level of the PJ tour where the rough is extremely thick and it's basically uh, penalizing if you go in the rough consistently because you won't be able to get as close to the hole and it's just a it's just a snowball effect. Um, he, he hasn't been able to get in the fairway consistently um, and that that reared its head um, at Pebble on Sunday last week where he just he couldn't hit a fairway to save his life. He was missing everything. And uh, the good news is he has shown signs. He, he uh, like I said, he was in contention on Sunday last week. He had the lead going into Sunday. Um, but the biggest thing to get your confidence back is you got to get to a place to where you can do, do it under pressure so that you know that you can do it. You know, once he has that one round where he breaks through that barrier, I think he's going to be back to playing like himself again. Um, but that's just, that's kind of my feeling based on uh, some of the experiences that I've had with golf um, because the mental side is really just, it's, it's so important. Right. Now, for those of you who are new or are going to be new to Raw Prospect, um, I, or Emmy, knows a lot more about golf than I do. Um, he's, he'll, he'll be the guy to really, I guess, trust more than me, I guess, um, on these golf topics. But I do know some. And so I'll just say this about Jordan Spieth. Um, first of all, it's good that he's, playing he's being competitive and giving himself a chance to win these tournaments again because for the past couple of years it seemed like he hasn't even been like in the running um much less at majors but just in regular tournaments in general um he's actually um back-to-back -to -back top five finishes um at the phoenix waste management open a couple weeks ago and then last week at pebble beach um, that's the first time he's had back-to-back -to -back top five finishes in three years. Not just a win, but back-to-back -back top five finishes, um, which is something he did pretty regularly early on his career when he was on that run winning those majors, um, 2016 and 2017. But yeah, exactly. Since um, a couple years ago, when Danny Willett um, eventually won, um, he seemed to have this uh, We're having some tef technical issues again. Uh, Michael, you there, man? Uh, can can you say that whole thing again? I don't think we we got that. We were having you cut out a little bit. 
Um, just just uh, about um, you. We were at where you mentioned Danny Willett and how and uh, he Jordan Speed was had a weird blank and then it just like completely froze up. So yeah, I I'm, I apologize, guys, for the technical difficulties. It's been a weird week here in the Austin area and just Texas. Some historically, I guess, Texas area, there are power outages everywhere and stuff. And my Wi-Fi has been up and down. Um, so I apologize for any technical difficulties. But um, yes, you mentioned that he's had this mental block. And I was just trying to get at that ever since that collapse at the Masters, just reiterating that it seems the pressure to get back to that level of winning is having an effect on him. Um, right now, um, you know, after the past couple of years, he's dropped all the way down to 92nd in the world, the official world golf rankings. Uh, and he really hasn't um, turned things around until now. So I'm just hoping that, um, and everyone like we know, likes a good comeback story. And, you know, he hasn't had, you know, necessarily the fall of say a, a Tiger Woods, but he's he hasn't been good at all the past couple of years up until now. And it'd be nice to see him eventually break through um, here soon. And I think I think he can do it. I think he can do it. He just has to, you know, he had 54 hole leads the past two weeks. He just has to find a way to not make um, those mistakes that have been haunting him on Sunday ever since um, that collapse at the 2016 Masters or whatever it was. So, but I just want to mention last week at Pebble Beach, uh, an average of 4.2 million viewers tuned in to the CBS final round coverage of that tournament. Uh, that's a 19% increase from last year's um, Pebble Beach program and it's the most watched regular season PGA Tour event on any network in two years, um, discounting majors, of course. So people want, that just shows you like people want to see him win and I'm no different, but it's just a matter of um, getting back to that mentality of of being confident on some, it seems he's lost some confidence, um, but you can speak to this more than I can and just not making those mistakes on Sunday. Right. So um, it's one of those things we, we hear um, Brooks Kepka. He had this quote where he said um, only about 10% uh, of the field is are players that he's has to beat. Everyone else will beat themselves. So uh, that's a pretty telling quote to uh, how professional golf works. Really, uh, Jordan Spieth, he's one of those guys that's beating himself right now, beating himself right now. So he just has to get back to uh, where he was at. Um, but I think that's it for that. It's a whole lot of generalities, guys. I'm sorry. That's just kind of how golf is. It's really, um, it's hard to, um, 
be factual about what's going on in someone's head with, when really we don't know. It's really a whole lot of uh, just speculation, but uh, it's just based on what we're seeing. Right. So I hope this is good for y'all uh, to hear still. But we're going to get into a little bit of predictions for uh, this week's tournament uh, at Riviera. I believe it's called the Northern Trust, unless they change the name again. I'm not sure. Um, but nevertheless, it's still the same course as, as it always is, that Riviera. Um, and a little bit of background is just that Riviera is just known for being uh, one of the toughest courses on the greens that these players see on tour. And that's why a lot of these players like to play this tournament because uh, they find these greens uh, comparable to what they see at Augusta being very undulated and fast. So um, that's one thing to keep in mind here. So typically the winner at this tournament is someone who is getting close to the hole. If you look at proximity to the hole, that's, that, that's someone who uh, will win at Riviera because you got to be able to get close to the hole and particularly underneath the hole where you have an uphill putt to give yourself good looks and be in contention. Um, so um, for this tournament, I look at a guy like uh, Dustin Johnson for, to win, or even uh, uh, last year it was Adam Scott, but uh, someone who is a good ball striker and hasn't uh, necessarily made that breakthrough to win, but he's a top 10 machine is Tony Finau. I could see him breaking through at an event like this. Um, obviously it's, it's hard to gauge how well he'll do since uh, the tournament just started. I haven't even looked at the leaderboard yet. This is just my, what I, my projection for the week, just uh, off nothing. Uh, so we'll see. Those are my, those are my two picks. I don't, I don't yeah. really have a whole ton of picks, but it, it's. I didn't, I didn't do a whole lot of prep on this. I've done a lot of prep on the NBA and the college basketball stuff. That's kind of the meat of this episode, but I will say real quick, um, now that football season's over and although there are going to be a bunch of storylines that we're still going to have to talk about, and we're going to have to go deep into the draft stuff here um, in the next couple weeks, starting in the next couple weeks, um, we are looking to expand our horizons. So, you know, I think if we want to grow our audience, we're going to have to expand our audience, expand our horizons beyond just basketball and football even though those are like the two main sports that we cover on this podcast. Um, you know, sometimes talking golf is going to start to be, I guess, you know, spring training starting up. So maybe we'll talk baseball every once in a while. Some of these other sports that we don't talk about as much, we're going to be talking about more. But anyways, um, a guy that I was looking at, and of course, you know, you can't ignore the likes of uh, Dustin Johnson. I mean, he's a, I believe, let's see, um, he's posted three wins, um, a third place, a sixth place, and an 11th place finish in his last nine worldwide starts. Um, that's just absolutely insane. Um, so you really, I, mean, I think he's missed the past couple of weeks with some sort of nagging injury. I don't know exactly what it is or some problem, but he's back this week. Um, but a guy I was looking at was Patrick Cantley. 
Um, I don't obviously know much about him, but what I do know is um, he has a good history at this particular event. Um, let's see, he was, um, he debuted at this event in 2018. He tied for fourth. And then he followed that up with uh, 15th and 17th place finishes. So he's been top 20 um, all three times he's played this event. And last week, um, he tied for second at last week's AT&T um, Pebble Beach Program. And he was third at his start before that at the American Express. So he's getting close. He's been in contention the past couple of events he's played in. And um, I think last week he ranked second in stroke screened approach and first in stroke screened tee to green. So he's been putting up good, uh, I guess you call them numbers per se. Right. Um, and he, he's had it, he's had a good history um, playing at Riviera and he's, he's gotten close. He just hasn't broken through yet. So I'd look at a guy like him to possibly, to possibly win this week. But you can't ignore the, the guys like Dustin Johnson and everyone else playing. And then obviously everyone's going to hide their eye on Jordan Spieth. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. But right, and as you said, go ahead. Right. And and you mentioned uh, the stats that he he had um, good history at this event. Golf is a little different than other sports where. Uh, having good history at a course holds a little bit more weight because as a golfer, having a good psyche and a good feeling at a course, uh, it, it plays a big role in being able to play really well. Um, right. so, uh, it, it's not like football where the, the circumstances are going to be different and all that, all the, the team as a whole, it's going to be different in different spots. Um, obviously the circumstances are doing is a different year. But um, going back to the same course that you know you play well at um, definitely helps a golfer psyche. So uh, I, I think I just needed to clarify a little bit there for some of the non-golf fans out there. Um, but, yeah, I think that's going to wrap up the golf segment for now. Um, we're going to get back to it um, once the Masters get closer and closer here. But we'll we'll keep checking back in with golf. I think there's, uh, I think not even that. Um, yeah, I I think we'll talk about the Players Championship, which is like in early March. So that'll oh, be right, soon. That's right. like that's like golf's. They call it the fifth major. Um, at least some people do. So right. we'll talk about that coming up here soon. And then obviously the majors after that. So uh, more golf than usual coming up on right. the Robert podcast. But we have some college basketball games that I have been waiting all week to talk about, but there's been, you know, some postponements. So we've not getting, you know, the whole slate of games this week, but this is still one of the better slates of games we've had um, in like a weekend or a week um, so far this season. So let's just go ahead and jump in um, to this. And I'm, I'm a, big college basketball fan Emmy he watches some but not as much as I do so we'll just try and get what we can get through what we can here um the first matchup 
um, one of four matchups between ranked teams. Um, we have the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Wisconsin Badgers. Did you want to start on this, or you want me to get us started? Um, yeah, you can go right ahead. I, I'm uh, looking okay. at some of the things I want to stay still. So, Okay. So when I look at this matchup, the first thing you have to point out is Iowa is elite offensively. However, they're very liable and bad defensively. So um, you look at their offense, they're first in the country in offensive efficiency with a rating of 127.6, which is off the charts. And obviously Luca Garza plays a big role in that um, success. And they're a great three-point shooting team as well. Um, they're 10th in the country in three-point field goal percentage uh, at about 40%. And they don't turn the ball over. They take really good care of the ball. Um, they're first in offensive turnover position, offensive turnover percentage, excuse me, at 13%. So they take very good care of the ball. They score at a high rate. They have a bunch of high-level scores like Luca Garza, who obviously is going to be in the running for and will probably win the Naismith Player of the Year award when it's all said and done. Um, but their defense is, is bad. It's really bad. Um, you look at Wisconsin – um they they're going to be a factor they struggled as a they're going to be a factor in the ncaa tournament and the reason i know that is because they're the more experienced team in the country their offense is struggling as of late they've and um They've also kind of struggled defensively, um, and that's kind of their identity. But they're a veteran team. Um, they're actually 18th in overall experience, an average of 2.339 years of experience among their, among their players. So their experience, um, they're good um, on defense. Um, they've struggled on offense as of late. They're playing some tough competition, but I do expect them to be a factor in the NCAA tournament because of their experience, um, the veteran presence. Uh, is it frozen again? Yep, it's frozen again. Um, I, I don't really know what to say. Uh, yo, Michael, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry for the technical difficulties, y'all. We're, um, uh, obviously Texas has had a really weird weekend, like we mentioned earlier. So, uh, it looks like he disconnected. So, um, I'm just going to give my pick for the game and then I'll get him re back, uh, reconnected again once I'm done uh, with my prediction. So uh, Iowa at Wisconsin, obviously he had just mentioned most of the key factors of the game. Uh, for Iowa, that being Luca Garza, he just, he's just coming off a game where he went uh, two, for, two for eight from the field. 
um, and just struggled overall. Couldn't buy a bucket. Uh, wasn't even hitting from the line either. Um, but their st- team still won that game, um, which is pretty interesting um, because they're known for being very reliant on Luca Garza's scoring. But this is a well-rounded team. And I think that's um, well-rounded team offensively. Sorry. Um, and I think that's a underrated part about their offensive game. They're a team that um, can score in a lot of different ways. Um, but then Wisconsin, um, they, they're definitely a lot less, um, I don't know what the right word is, flashy, uh, just simply from the, their style of play. A lot of lower scoring games that they've been a part of. They've, um, they're a team that likes to grind out uh, low scoring wins. Uh, as Michael said, they're a really, really good defensive team. Um, but as for picking this game, uh, I, I'm going to pick Iowa uh, simply uh, from the think from the fact that I think that they'll be able to get enough stops. Um, and I don't, th- I don't know if Wisconsin will have the firepower to keep up with Iowa, um, their offensive attack. I think um, in the first half, early in the first half, I think it might be a little bit low scoring, but once Iowa gets into a rhythm offensively, um, I don't know if they're Wisconsin, I mean, is going to be able to keep up with the firepower that they have. So um, that's going to be my prediction. Um, I'm going to get Michael back in here. Uh, so I'm going to pause this real quick. Um, and when we're, when we're back, we're going to, uh, continue our picks here. So, uh, yeah. All right, y'all, we are back. Um, again, sorry about the technical difficulties. It was really, um, inevitable for this episode. Um, honestly, we, we even like expected some of this coming in, but we want to get this episode out to y'all. So we're going to just keep on, keep on going through this cycle if we have to and, uh, finish this out. Um, but, um, as you heard, um, I, I picked Iowa, but I'll let Michael finish up giving his pick and then we'll yeah, move. It's just, it's just, Iowa has more offense and the name of the game right now, late February, early March, going into the tournament is to score. You gotta be able to score. And so until Wisconsin, um, figures some stuff out offensively, um, I can't really take them as seriously as I would, um, given their experience. Um, they're not going to get blown out, I don't think, um, because they're good defensively and they have experience. They're a veteran team. And those teams typically are still competitive. But Iowa's just on another level offensively. And I think they're so good offensively that the fact that they're bad defensively um, really doesn't matter as much as it would some of these other teams that we're going to talk about. So. We're both agree that's a good game. If you're not doing anything tonight, that's a good game. It's going to be nationally televised on ESPN. Um, it is tonight. That's a good game to tune into. Um, so you can get it, not only get a good look at both these teams, but Luca Garza is a fun watch. So go ahead and tune in if you can. All right. Um, two Big 12 matchups on Saturday, big ones. Um, we have Texas Tech at Kansas. 
I guess I can give my little spiel. Um, Texas Tech, when you look at this team, they're, they're stout defensively, like every crispier team um, every year, it seems. And they force turnovers in bunches. So this year, they're 18th. They're top 20 in defensive efficiency. They've dropped off a little from that national championship run a couple years ago, but they're still really good. And they force a lot of turnovers. They force turnovers on 24.7%, almost a quarter of opponents' offensive possessions. And offensively, the backcourt has been great. The transfer from Georgetown, Mac McClung, has been a must-watch. And Kyler Edwards as well has been really good. So, um, but Texas Tech is a smaller team. Kansas has struggled here in the middle of the season, but they've won a couple games in a row. They've kind of gotten back to looking like Kansas again. Um, I think they will be in the tournament, but they do have a tough, a tough schedule here coming down the stretch. They got to play Texas again. They got to play um, West Virginia. They got to play Texas Tech. So they have a couple tough games here remaining. Um, in order to win this game on Saturday against Texas Tech, they're going to have to dominate inside with their big center, David McCormick, because Texas Tech doesn't have a player above 6'8 um, in that starting lineup. So they're going to have to play inside out, create open shots on the outside by playing through the post. Um, cause Dave McCormick, when he's not in foul trouble, um, has been really good. He's been a really good player for Kansas, um, averaging 13 and seven on 50% from the floor and over a block per game. But I do think that due to their defensive prowess, Kansas sort of has struggled with some loose play on the offensive end, turning the ball over. That plays into Texas Tech's strength. And for that reason, and due to inconsistent guard play for Kansas, I'm picking Texas Tech. I think it'll be close, and Texas Tech will pull away late. Right. Um, that, that's actually who I picked as well. Um, Texas Tech, um, like you said, they're very similar to most Chris Beard led teams in, in terms of their defensive prowess um, and, and their style of play. It feels like um, they're always led by guards who are really good off the dribble um, and guards who are really aggressive defensively. Um, and that's been the case again this year with how many turnovers they force, as you mentioned. Um, but I don't know much about Kansas this year. I'm, I'm going to watch this game um, and I'm going to be able to tell you more about what I think of them uh, after this game. Uh, but I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched them this year. And um, I think just based on that, I think I have to choose Texas Tech because that's the team that I'm aware of. I did a little bit of uh, prep on Kansas and I, um, it's hard for me to really gauge them off of the stats because, like you said, they've been very inconsistent. Um, so I'm just gonna have to ha just eye test, see what uh, see what I can get out of that, and uh, I'll get back to you on Kansas. But for now, I'm picking Texas Tech. That's okay. 
Uh, if you're going to start to watch teams more in detail, now is the time. Still have time. Um, Kansas has a lot of tough games here coming down the stretch. So this would be a good way for you to kind of gauge, I guess, what you think of a lot of these teams that you may not watch as much as I do. Okay, the next game, um, West Virginia at Texas, Saturday, 2 p.m. It's going to be on ABC. Um, now, the last <laughs> the last game between these two teams, because as you know, in the Big 12, there are 10 teams. You play every team twice, once on the road, once um, once at home. And that's kind of been shaken up this year due to some of the postponements, but you get the point. In the last game, Texas Tech, Texas at West Virginia, Texas won on a on a on a late three by Andrew Jones. Um, it was actually a, a game winning three with like two or three seconds left. You uh, you shot it in the corner. They beat him. Um, I was happy. Texas was ten and one at the time. They've struggled here as of late, but they've gotten back to some of their, their principles in the past couple games, and that's why I'm picking them to win this game. It's hard in the Big 12. It's tough. I was going to pick, originally, Texas to beat OU on the road to avenge their loss um, at home against OU, but since that's been postponed due, due to weather, um, I'm now picking them to beat West Virginia. Now, the Andrew Jones story is just incredible. I'll try to go a little faster because I know I'm kind of ranting. Um, I think he needs to be first team all Big 12 when the season's all said and done. He's been that good. Um, a lot of people are aware of sort of his background, his story, but they don't know the full, the full story, what he's been able to overcome. Um, so I just want to get into that real quick because it's relevant to this game because he was the guy that hit the shot to beat West Virginia last time. Um, he was highly, actually a highly touted four-star recruit out of MacArthur High School um, in Irving, Texas. Um, he, during his senior year, he averaged over 30 points per game, 10 rebounds and seven assists um, in his senior year at MacArthur and was named a McDonald's All-American and was a four-star recruit coming out of that high school. Um, and he had offers from some notable, really good basketball programs, not necessarily the Dukes or the Carolinas of the world, but he had offers from Arizona, who's typically a really good basketball program. They're dealing with some sanctions um, due to some you know, recruiting violations and all that, but they're typically really good. Uh, Baylor's now a, a perennial contender. Um, he also had offers from, I believe, Oklahoma State, some other really good basketball programs. So he was highly touted. He committed to Texas, um, kind of the same situation um, with him and Greg Brown. They both committed um, because of their family history. And then, of course, um, his relationship grew with Shaka Smart throughout the recruiting process. So he committed to Texas, had a pretty good freshman season. Um, average double digits and points, uh, good. Um, and about a quarter of the way into his sophomore season, um, he diagnosed leukemia, which is a cancer. And so that was January 
2018, about halfway into his sophomore year. So he was granted medical red shirts for 27-2018, which was at his actual sophomore season, his second year at Texas, and 2018-2019. So those years, both of those years, since their medical red shirts didn't count against his eligibility. So now it's been, he recovered, of course, from that. He came back middle of last year to actually playing with the team. So last year was his actual sophomore season. And then this year is his junior season. So he's been at Texas for five years, but he's actually only considered a junior because two of those years didn't count because he was dealing with cancer. And then of course he had a torn labrum. So he, he's also recovered from a, a pretty intensive hip surgery as well, along with um, a couple procedures on, um, on his foot. So just a pretty incredible story overall, what he's overcome. And he's been really, really good. And sort of the reason that Texas has stayed afloat here as like a top 15 team. Um, he's averaging 19 points per game, five rebounds, three assists on 47% shooting from the field and 37% from three in Big 12 play, which is why I say that he should be um, first team all Big 12. Um, so he's a big component to this Texas team. But the key in this game is going to be um, the front court of both teams. Um, the reason I say that is because um, West Virginia is one of the best teams um, on the offensive glass. They rank ninth in the country in offensive rebounding percentage at 37%. They rebound 37% of the shots that they miss and they get a lot of second chance opportunities. And Texas necessarily isn't the best at defensive rebounding. Uh, there are 146 in the country in defensive rebounding, which isn't, it's like middle of the pack in terms of D1. Like it's not great at all, but it's not you know terrible. But I think um, in order for Texas to really have, give them a chance to win this game, they're gonna have to Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, and Kai Jones are going to have to get on the defensive glass and be active uh, and not let West Virginia get a lot of those second chance points that they like to get and like to play off of. So that's going to be the key. I think Texas can do it. They're playing at home. Um, I think the only thing I worry about is the facilities here at UT have been closed for the past couple of days. So they haven't had a lot of time to practice this week which kind of worries me. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they had the whole COVID situation. So it's been a while. They've only had a couple of games together, like all together healthy um, the past couple of weeks. That worries me a little bit, but I think, I think they can pull it out. And this would be a big win for them to get them back into the top 10. I think they can do it, but maybe I'm just being a little biased. I don't know what, if you have any opinions. Right. Um, this was a hard game for me to pick. Um, it, it, like you said, it comes down to the the front court matchups, um, but also a really interesting thing um, with West with West Virginia, their style of play um, being that they do that full court press. Uh, will Texas be disciplined enough to not turn the ball over 
um, and give West Virginia those uh, transition opportunities that they tend to get. Um, and th that's the biggest thing. Um, you don't know how Texas will come out, if they're going to be sharp. Um, and against West Virginia, playing that style of play, I think that's actually probably the worst possible matchup to be coming off of a week where you couldn't practice, you know, because you got to be sharp and um, on it to be able to just get it past half court. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pick West Virginia, but um, the thing that uh, I'd say is if Texas is able to get West Virginia to have to make most of their offensive possessions in the half court and not in transition. And uh, as you said, um, finish those defensive possessions with a rebound the first time, uh, then I would have to choose Texas. But it's so unpredictable to see how they'll come out. Here's what I will say. I was going to originally pick them to beat OU on the road because I didn't – foresee a scenario where they would lose to OU again, given that they lost at home to OU, but they were missing Jericho Sims. They were missing Courtney Rainey. Um, they were missing a lot of their key. They were missing Shaka Smart. Um, that reared its ugly head late in that game with some of the coaching decisions that were made. Um, and they only lost by one point. Um, so I was going to pick um, them to beat OU and then lose to West Virginia. But now since it's just one game, and they don't have that quick turnaround, and they're at home. Um, I'm picking Texas, but of course, I'm not going to pick against against my team um, until tournament time. Then I get really serious, and I'll be more um, objective, I guess. All right, so let's speed this up a little bit. Um, two ACC matchups. I guess I'll just cover them two for one. There's not really a whole lot to say. Um, the first one is Louisville at North Carolina. Um, I'm picking North Carolina. Um, they're one of the blue bloods that I think will be in the tournament. Um, a lot of these blue bloods won't. Um, but, you know, the Kentuckys, the Michigan States, the Dukes of the world. But I think Carolina has enough to get in. Um, now, they can't shoot, which worries me, come the tournament. Um, they're a horrendous three-point shooting team. And they turn the ball over a lot, which also worries me. Um, they're 290th in the country in three-point field goal percentage, 31%. And they're 240th in the country in offensive turnover percentage. They turn the ball over on a fifth of their offensive possessions. That also worries me. And they're inexperienced in the backcourt. Um, but they have the size advantage in this game. Um, Louisville has some good guard play, so I think they have the advantage there. But I think North Carolina has too much of an advantage um, in the front court. Um, guys like um, Garrison Brooks, the freshman center, Walker Kessler for North Carolina, who's seven foot two, can stretch the four, shoot threes. Um, and our Armando Baycott, the sophomore, highly touted recruit from last year, I think you can expect them to dominate. Um, because, and that's how North Carolina is going to have to play this because their guards have been really inconsistent and they can't really, they're not a high level, um, team, you know, scoring on the perimeter, shooting from the perimeter. So they got to play inside out. 
And I think their size advantage, even though Louisville is good defensively and their guard play has been pretty good. And that's the reason they're 11 and four and they're going to be in the tournament. I think North Carolina uh, needs this win a little more than Louisville does. And I think their size advantage is going to show. So that's just my quick spiel on that. Um, Virginia at Duke. Duke hasn't been good. They've won a couple games here in a row, but their, their five-star freshman, Jalen Johnson, power forward, their second leading scorer, their second leading rebounder, just opted out of this season for many reasons, injury, COVID, all that stuff. And so, you know, in the NBA, losing that production might not be as big, but when you lose that production in college, it plays a much bigger role. And Duke's really struggled um, on the defensive end. And Virginia has been really, really good on the offensive end. They're going to be pissed off. They got pummeled at Florida State on Monday night. Um, so they're going to be pissed off. And offensively, they've just been fantastic. 14th in offensive efficiency, um, fourth in effective field goal percentage. Um, they're 14th in the country in offensive turnover percentage, which means they don't turn the ball over. And they're seventh in the country in three-point percentage. And Kihei Clark has really made that next step as a point guard, distributor, a playmaker, all that stuff. So I like Virginia and I like North Carolina to win on Saturday, but I will say I wouldn't be surprised if Louisville wins because they do have the better guard play. And I, uh, well, Duke, I just don't see any way they can keep this game competitive. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to concur with both of those picks. Um, I, I haven't watched much SAC this year, but no, not SEC, ACC. I, I'm screwing up here. Uh, I haven't watched much ACC this year, but I, I've seen Virginia play, um, and I feel really confident about that game. I think they're just – they're not going to lose. Uh, they're, they're coming off a emotional uh, loss, and I don't think they'll have two straight letdowns. I think they're too good to uh, have that. Um, but the first game, Louisville and North Carolina – um, the reason I'm picking North Carolina is actually, um, they actually just played recently on the 22nd. Wait, no, no, I think they played a few weeks ago, right? I think in, uh, in Louisville, but, um, I'm, I'm going to pick North Carolina here. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's. It's been, you know, with all these postponements, it's been hard to keep track, especially yeah. if you're not an avid college basketball watcher. I just think in some of these matchups that are kind of more evenly matched, like I think North Carolina and Louisville are, are pretty evenly matched teams as far as their rosters go. You just have to look for the small advantages in each, in each matchup. And the advantage here, the bigger advantage here is – um, the front court play of North Carolina. Um, they have a lot of size. Louisville is a smaller team. And I think a great, a great coach like Roy Williams 
going to be able to exploit that. So, and they're playing at home. And they don't have a ton of fans, but they do have some. And they need this win more than Louisville does for their sakes for the tournament. So those are sort of the reasons why. But I won't be surprised if Louisville wins. Um, I won't. But, okay, the game of the week. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say about Virginia. Their effective field goal percentage, um, 57.4%. That's fourth in the country. Wow. Really good. Um, the two other times that they were top 10 under Tony Bennett in effective field goal percentage, um, one year they went to the Elite Eight, and the other year they won the national championship. So just keep that in mind. When, when they can shoot, um, they're really dangerous. Just keep that in mind. Right. But what I am worried about is they're 0-3 against – Kind of the upper echelon of the of the country in the ACC. They had a bad loss to Virginia Tech. They had a bad loss to Florida State, um, and they had a really bad loss to Gonzaga. Now, granted, everyone loses to Gonzaga, but it was it was just awful. Um, so, I need to see them beat. I need to see them in the in the ACC tournament before I can before I can gauge kind of where they're going to go in March. But that's just kind of the something to keep in mind um, about Virginia going down the stretch. Okay, we'll finish off with the game of the week. Um, number three, Michigan at number four, Ohio State. This game's actually on Sunday. Um, Ohio State, really good. Both these teams as of now would be one seeds as far as I am concerned. Um, the Buckeyes have eight quadrant one wins, which means wins against the team's top 30 in uh, RPI and net rating, which I won't get into that. But basically, they have eight wins against really, really, really good teams. For those of you who don't understand that, um, that's the most in the country of such wins. Um, and they're elite offensively. Um, 122.6 offensive efficiency, fourth in the country. Um, and, um, yeah, they're solid and Chris Holtman, their coach should be a, should be a leading candidate for, um, coach of the year. Um, he's really underrated. Uh, as far as Michigan goes, they were on pause for two weeks due to a COVID outbreak, but they're back. Um, well, all Michigan athletics was on pause for two weeks, um, due to some COVID problems, but they're back. They just beat. Um, Wisconsin uh, last weekend. Um, I think they play Rutgers tonight. They should win that game. Um, it's a quick turnaround here to play a really good team like Ohio State on the road. I do worry about that given um, that they haven't played in a while. They're still kind of getting back into the swing of things. They got to get back their chemistry and all that. But I think their size advantage, just like I said with North Carolina, um, is going to win out here. And they're a resilient team. They were actually trailing for most of that Wisconsin game, but then came back and won it in the second half. And a big reason for that was um, the power forward, the sophomore power forward, um, Franz Wagner, the brother of Mo Wagner, who now plays in the NBA, um, has been really good. And then freshman center Hunter Dickinson, if you haven't watched him yet, 
I'd say watch him because he's been really good, averaging 15 and 8 on 67% from the floor and 1.7 blocks per game. No player on Ohio State's roster is taller than 6'8", just like I said with um, Texas Tech and how Kansas should play inside out and how North Carolina has a size advantage. I think if these coaches are smart, if Jawan Howard knows what he's doing, and I think he does, otherwise Michigan wouldn't be where they are now, 14-1 record, um, aiming to be a number one seed, that uh, they're going to be able to exploit um, this advantage. But won't be surprised if Ohio State wins because I do worry about the quick turnaround. Um, two straight games on the road. Rutgers isn't necessarily an easy win. Um, they're, they're fighting for a tournament spot. They're kind of a bubble team. And this quick turnaround to go play um, at Ohio State, who's also a very good team, it worries me a bit, but I think Michigan should pull it out. Right. Um, if you look at Ohio State, they've won – nine of their last 10 games. So they're on a, uh, they're on a stretch where they're playing extremely well in the, basically the heart of their conference schedule. So that's, that's really impressive considering um, on our last podcast, I believe we ranked the big 10 uh, either number two or number one among the best conferences in college basketball. So that's really impressive. Um, And then Michigan, um, one thing is that they they haven't played nearly as many games, it seems like, because of all the postponements and all of the COVID stuff. Um, so they're still in a stretch where they're, they're finding themselves as a team, but I think um, they're more well-rounded. As you said, um, Ohio State has a clear hole to where they have no r- true big men. So... Uh, this could either go one of two ways. Um, either Ohio State is going to be able to switch the pick and rolls and uh, defend that, and and Michigan isn't going to be able to take advantage of those switches uh, as good as they should, or Michigan's going to eat them alive inside, which is what I think will happen. Um, I think Michigan is going to be able to get in the paint um, throughout the entire game, and that's going to be the deciding factor of the night. Um, whether Ohio State can hold their own inside, um, but I don't. I don't think they will. I'm going to pick Michigan. It's a good pick, um, but those type of games are kind of unpredictable because right. you just don't know. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the selection committee values each sort of metric, given that all these teams have played different number of games for. A different number of reasons so it's going to be harder for the selection committee to gauge some of these teams because some teams have played a lot less games than others so we'll just have to see but if you're going to watch college basketball this season start now because it's heating up All right. um and i guess uh, i think we're like 25 days away from selection sunday so we're getting closer and closer by the minute so Um, But I think that's going to do it for episode 57. Apologize for the technical difficulties. We'll be back soon. There are lots of things that we still have to talk about. Um, There was some trade today in the NFL that's, I guess, pretty notable. And, uh, 
you know, other things going on as well. So we'll be back soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. We went a little bit over time here, but uh, <laughs> if you're, if you're, if you're still here, um, I guess uh, comment, um, comment the word, uh, comment uh, Michigan. I don't know. Comment <laughs> Michigan if you're still here in, in the comment section. If you're watching on YouTube, um, but yeah, that's gonna do it. I think I think we're gonna start doing that now just to see who's staying to the end or not. I mean, it might not do anything, but. I think it's just a fun thing that we get add, but um, yeah, that's going to do it. Um, thank you for watching. First of all, um, this was a little bit of a rough one in terms of the technical side, but uh, we made it uh, and thank you for watching and we'll be back soon for episode 58. Peace. <laughs>